Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rob Clement is a registered representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby, boomer, or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, welcome to today's program. I tell you, it's so exciting to have just a lineup like we've got today because it's going to be just really going through some things we all need to be sensitive and aware of. And leading off is Dane Williams, our insurance advisor from Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. He's going to talk about all the issues of filing claims in Shelby County in the Mid-South because of really what we've had to happen in the past week with the winds and rain and stuff. It has just been a disaster for a lot of people. That's Dame. He's up first. Then Scott Jordan. He's going to talk about some fundamentals and answer your questions. And boy, what a powerful question uh, when we get to that point in the program. And then, of course, Rob Clement is going to the last part of the show is going to dive into some issues. And I just have to tell you this. It is so critical to know this. $28.3 billion last year was taken with financial exploitation from senior citizens. I mean, can you imagine? We're going to give you some ideas what to look for. I want to remind you that you can always find a show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And, of course, just subscribe to the program. We appreciate it. And if you've got questions for us, send them to Jim, 901-683-0989. That's Jim, J-I-M. 901-683-0989, or you can send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. All right, Dane, welcome to the program, sir. He is, of course, as I said earlier, he is an insurance advisor with Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. Welcome first, and what in the world is going to be going on for the next couple of weeks? No, thanks for having me. It, it's uh, it's going to be a little busy in our office. Uh, we're definitely uh, rocking and rolling right now. We obviously had uh, weather events come through uh, over the past weekend, and um it definitely kept us running as so much the city without power, with trees falling down, and uh, just being a, a massive catastrophic storm that happened is, is keeping us busy for sure. Well, you know, I know it does. And I tell you, I, I just look at the claims and the damage that was done, and of course, power outages and all those things. Of course, we all feel the issues with power outages. But when you look, uh, I, I just was driving around in an area of if we have some friends, and we were kind of going over to see if we could help them. And I saw a tree. Now, fortunately, this tree did not fall on anything but a fence. But I tell you, I couldn't have put my arms around this thing. No, no kidding. It had to be in, in, in you know, a circumference or, I mean, six, seven, eight feet. I mean, it was a huge tree, big tree. And uh, I, I would have not expected that tree to be uprooted, but it didn't have a problem. I guess when you got 75, 85 miles an hour winds, <laughs> nothing stands in front of that. Well, and sometimes what you'll see is uh, a homeowner will see a great big tree in their yard that's producing green leaves or whatever and think it's healthy, but maybe the roots are having issues. And if you haven't had a big tree like that looked at, maybe the roots aren't as strong as they need to be, and these 80-mile-an-hour winds can yeah. really do a toll. Yeah, talk about this. I mean, when I we, we wanted to kind of go over this, and you think about the problem with a lot of people, and some people are have filed claims before, but what does a person do I mean, you know, when they're looking at filing a claim, how long do you really have? I mean, if this occurred Sunday night 
and now it's already Saturday and, you know, we've, we've been a week or Sunday morning or whatever, and you go through the process, what, what do you do? I mean, how do I go through the, you know, tell me what to do. Yeah, the first thing we always instruct our clients to do is give your agent a call. We want to talk to you to try to figure out, all right, what's happened here? What type of damage do you have? Does it definitely make sense? Because sometimes people will just see, man, there are trees all over the neighborhood. I'm sure it did damage to my roof. They'll file the claim and they won't necessarily have the damage there. And unfortunately, it's going to be on their record for years and years, causing them to pay a higher premium. So we always want to engage in a conversation with them to see, all right, have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? Okay, there's nothing that is an immediate damage or immediate uh, danger that's going to do more harm to your home. Let's go ahead and have somebody come out and take a look at it and tell you what it would cost to fix if there is even anything to fix. And, And then at that point, that will inform us if we need to file a claim. Now, Dane, when you say have someone to come out, I mean, here you are, you're working with someone, you're an independent, you know, you don't work in for, you know, you got multiple companies, which I want to talk about that. Is this this catastrophic type of, you know, problem that we had in the city, is that going to affect us with carriers? But that I know we talked about that last time, and I was just blown away with what you told us then. But when a person's filing a claim... Do you send out that person to look at their roof? To, I mean, they got a leak in their bedroom. They got a leak in the kitchen or something. Do you send someone out or do you give them a telephone number for them to go find somebody? Oftentimes it's better for me to connect them with somebody and say, look, here's this person with this company. They're going to do a, a great job. And at least I, I know the quality of their work and I know that they have you know, inspected a ton of houses for us so they can take a look and at least let you know what type of damage you have. Um, but I would rather them make the call just scheduling. There's practicalities of are you going to be at the house? Are you not going to be at the house? So I usually connect them with a phone number and say, you guys do it. And once they've, they've taken a look at your home and seen the damage, get back with me. And then we'll decide you know, what our next steps are going to be. Scott Jordan is in the studio with us, too, and I'm looking at Scott. And, Scott, uh, you know, you live in, out close in the area, further out east, and uh, a lot of damage out in your area. What what are you seeing? Are you seeing, I mean, are you sensing people are frustrated, they're not getting help, or what? what's going on? Yeah, I'm sensing a lot of frustration out there, and, and, and a lot of my neighbors are, you know, admittedly a little bit older, and, and it's been hot. And, and we were without power. We finally got power back on, but we were out power without power for several days. So, yeah, you started to see people. Well, I, I mean, we're, we're spoiled, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get used to having things like air conditioning, yeah. running water, and, and lights. So, uh, yeah, people were getting very frustrated. But I tell you what, the crews are working as hard as they can, and they're doing a great job of getting everything back together like they always do. Absolutely. Uh, they're very good at getting out there and getting to work, and I'm sure they're as worn out. I mean, it's been, you know, almost above 100 degrees, so they're working out in the very hot weather getting, getting things restored for us. And again, that's that's that process, and you say they are working hard. And, Dane, I guess I'm going back. You've now said make a phone call to you, the agent, call your agent, and then let the agent decide should we call what, you know, kind of get a description. So if I called you and say there's my roof is leaking in my bedroom, that's a pretty good indication of get somebody out. But if I say I think it might start leaking, that's probably not going to be an indication. What, what do you do? Yeah, well, one of the things we always do, and just to correct one small thing you did, it's not necessarily the agent that's deciding. It's my job to, to uh, educate you, to educate. inform you on All this right. is what your policy covers. These are the things that are going to be covered. If you want to file a claim regardless of that information, I'll walk through the process right now. There's no hesitation. I'm not here to talk you out of filing a claim. I just want to make sure you understand your policy. And then once we start to figure out what it is that we believed caused the damage, um, there's water that's leaking into my house. Well, a handful of years ago, we had a really bad snowstorm, right? 
and there was a lot of ice damming that occurred. The, the ice was frozen up on the gutter line, and eventually as it would melt, it would seep back through the shingles. There was nothing that was damaged with the roof at all. All that was was just water that was melting. It didn't have anywhere to go. So even if we would have filed a claim, even though you had water in your living room, there was no real damage for us to fix at that mm-hmm. point unless, you know, you just had a full piece of sheetrock fall through. Does this make a difference to us now that we've had the ice storms? You mentioned the snow, but the ice storms in December, January, mm-hmm. I mean, devastated just tons of people, bursted pipes. I mean, going through that process, I mean, I'm thinking of my, a neighbor now that's got a tree down in their backyard and had two bus, bursted pipes in their house in, in January. I mean, they're frustrated. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's, it is. I mean, what does this begin to affect who we get as carriers in this city? I mean, is that a problem? I mean, you talked about last time that, you know, when we talked a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, actually, that uh, you've got insurance carriers that are pulling out of not just Memphis or Shelby County or West Tennessee or Eastern Arkansas, North Mississippi. They're pulling out of states. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've had now some major carriers that write across the entire country that have basically said, we're effectively going to stop writing new business, not just for a couple of weeks, not until we get a handle on things, through the rest of the year and to the start of next year. Um, major companies that you see commercials for that have basically said, we're out of the game for writing new business right now because we don't handle our, our we don't have a good handle on our profitability mm. right now we had our worst year in over two decades as far as profitability we lost a significant amount of money and we're trying to figure that out so what we're going to do is we're going to stop the bleeding with some of that to where we're just acquiring more bad business that wasn't profitable for us and try to weed out some of that expensive business that we're not profitable on you mentioned the fact that florida was struggling with, with not, and started their own state insurance plan i mean that is that something that we're going to be looking at in the future i man i hope not um i know a lot of my, my Florida agents, uh, friends that are down there in California has some similar things to where there's more or less a, a government-backed uh, plan for people that just can't get insurance. And uh, it's a tough spot because you're not getting some of the uh, the perks that you get whenever you have companies that have designed a product where they're trying to have an advantage over everyone else. Some a of competitive things, product. It's exactly right. You're not getting some of that. You're getting, well, this is all that exists. So let's just have a government, government-run insurance product that we just have to put out there for people. You've been in the insurance business long enough to know kind of the, 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 I guess, the atmosphere and the attitude of the insurance companies. Can you give us a kind of an idea of what you see in the next 18 to 24 months? You know, I, I've never seen anything like this. And I talk to my friends that have been around for decades and they tell me the same thing. I, I have never seen anything like this. This is a very hard market for insurance agents. Um, I would imagine uh, from talking to all of our carriers, from all the things that we're reading, it seems like we're probably going to be in this rising rate environment for the rest of the year, maybe even to the start of next before we start to level off and start to kind of see, all right, we're not having to deal with some of these massive increases right now. When you look at auto insurance uh, across the board, uh, over the last year, we're seeing about a 15.5% increase in people's premiums nationwide. That's a pretty significant increase on just one product. When you start to go to the home insurance, you start getting out some of the other parts of an insurance profile. Um, it really is a pretty significant increase that people are feeling on their bottom line. All right. Now, that brings me to this question here. And I guess what happens when you file a claim? I mean, you kind of told us that, you know, you got to get somebody out. If you do this, does it affect your rates? I mean, you know, okay, okay I can fix this part of the leaky roof, maybe. Or I can whatever. I mean, I can you know, do my and I'm not going to file a claim. But uh, I'm I'm not a good roofer, you know. I mean, I, I'm going to patch, but well, that, wait a minute, guys, that wasn't that wasn't funny. I mean, yeah. you know, okay. I mean, okay. Uh, I might could do a roof. You never know. 
My wife would not let me get on the roof. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Jim Shoemaker's birdhouses. He was what he put roofs on. So. <laughs> exactly. But the point is, all right, so I'm, let's say I'm, I'm a fix-it type of guy, and I'm going to try. But you're telling is I, if I file a claim, is that going to raise my rates immediately? No, typically a home insurance contract is going to be a 12-month contract. So it really depends on when your policy renews before you'll feel the impact of that rate. Okay. So if your policy just renewed last month, you probably have 11 months before you're really going to see that increase. Is there going to be an increase? Well, you mentioned something at one point when we were having a discussion about this because it's just a question. It comes in a lot. A catastrophic, uh, you know, it was if it's catastrophic and affects a swath of people, it doesn't affect me as personally as much. Is that correct? Correct. Am I saying that right? Correct. Uh, the different types of claims you can have, some are going to be more punitive than others. And then the uh, more recent that they were are also going to be more punitive than those that are further away. So having a long time ago catastrophic loss or cat loss, that's like the least punitive claim you can have because there's nothing you could have done that everybody got hit with a tornado or whatever it may be. And it was five years ago. But these companies are looking back five to seven years now in your claims history and, and bearing that for the new business that they'll write before they'll take a new client on and for rating business that is already on the books. Wow. That's a, that's a big decision that we have to manage through our process of understanding literally the, the industry. I mean, insurance claims when it comes to homeowners and, and auto, knowing how to manage through that process. Well, you know, one of the things that is, uh, is even a little scarier, we have uh, heard stories and, and there's countless times where a client may have been with an insurance company for a couple of years now, but prior to coming to them, they had claims. Maybe we wrote that business two years ago. They priced those claims into it, but now we're getting time for their renewal at this point, and they've changed their appetite. They've said, hey, we can't have a level of risk because you had claims a while back. Even though we were okay with them last year, we're not okay with them now. We're going to non-renew you and cancel your contract whenever it renews. Wow. Uh, that's um, That makes me kind of concerned about all of a sudden not having insurance coverage, and, and people have to be very sensitive to this. And I, I guess we'll talk with that when we get to Rob you got that elder person who's trying to manage their finances through this process, and they're trying to get advice, and so it, it's really now you. I think one of the things that would that I want I think is important. You represent multiple carriers, and from my perspective, that doesn't mean that you're tied to one. And I'm, I'm not knocking somebody that does that. I'm just simply saying you chose as the as the firm did to say we're going to be able to select. And, and help me understand why that's critical for the, the, the person buying the insurance. Yeah, now more than ever, it's incredibly important to be with an independent insurance agent or an independent insurance broker because when we have that circumstance I just talked about where the company's saying, we're going to non-renew you for something you haven't done in years, um, we have the opportunity now to get ahead of that. I know I've got a 60-day notice before they're going to be non-renewed. I can go and find alternative options for them to find the best option I can to try to replace that product for you and have as limited amount of upheaval in that client's life as they need to, as opposed to you having to call 15 different insurance agents around town and deal with all the sales processes to go with that and presentations and eventually make a decision. We can go and do all of that shopping for you. And at that point say, here's the best that we were able to find. I, I know this may not be great. I know this is awesome, whatever it may be. Here's what we found for you. And you're not having to do anything other than, okay, here's a thumbs up. Let me sign off on it. And we'll be good to go. You know, that, that helps me, I think, because it gives me a sense of you're consulting with me to find what's best for me. And that's, that's the best thing I think works with that. 
we've talked about wind and, and storms and and rain and roofs and trees and stuff, but let's talk about cars. Everybody in this city knows that if you drive a car, at some point, it seems like at some point in this city, you're going to be broken into. Now, fortunately, I drive a truck. I don't think trucks are on the top list to be broken into, but I'm just, I don't know. I wouldn't uh, have said that, Jim. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I say it, yeah, right. you, know, you and I are talking just last week about, you know, do we, yeah, you don't need a generator. We were talking right, to a guy right. that said, I just had one put in. Oh, we don't need yeah. a generator. We never lose power for very long. <laughs> That's right. Famous last words. <laughs> Famous last words. All right. So, okay. I shouldn't have said that. I drive, I drive a, uh, a, a Plymouth. <laughs> <laughs> A duster. A du- <laughs> 1969 okay, duster. There you go. So what about cars in this city? You know, it's tough because auto rates across the nation are seeing a pretty big increase uh, because of claims that we've had and, and just the toughness of, of profitability there, right? Uh, auto insurance as a whole, for every dollar of premium they collected last year, they paid out $1.12. Um, so that's an issue, right? When you just look at that level of unprofitability for a business, they're in business to stay in business. They're not trying to just run a nonprofit here. So whenever we have those types of issues, they're going to be raising rates. Um, the claims that we've seen with break-ins, but also just as we're returning to normal driving patterns post-COVID, uh, we're starting to see accidents tick back up because there's fewer people working from home than we had last year and the year before and the things that go with that. That's all having an impact. And some of the carriers are having to be creative in the ways that they find discounts for, for clients to try to offset some of that cost. So it's an ongoing problem. And, uh, you know, you told us, and I, I hate to put you on the spot, but I, you said something about last year through the month of May or June, I don't remember what it was. We had so many break-ins that I, I want to say 2,500 or something like that. Yeah. And now you're over. Yeah. So uh, the city of Memphis, this was in May uh, that this stat came out. And I want to say for all of 2022, we had less than 3,000 right. uh, auto thefts. Uh, just through May of 2023, we were over 5,000, probably close to 6,000. Yeah, that just that blew me away when you said that. So, so it's a real issue. It's a real problem. Knowing what type of insurance you have, knowing how to file the claim is critical. You know, here's the thing I want to say to everybody. Finding somebody that, that just has your best interest in heart in this particular environment is critical. Dane's telephone number is 901-757-5757. Pick up the phone, call him, just ask questions. I mean, he'll answer your questions, and all you have to do is just simply say, I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. That's the key. It is difficult to know exactly how to buy or really cover yourself when you're looking at that insurance claim. What would you say? Any closing words there, Dane? Because, I, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a problem. I think with anything, especially in, on this show as we're looking at financial planning and all the things that go with that, um, having an idea of where you stand, what your policy covers, what you're paying for your policies, and it's not something you've just set it and forget it, but instead you're keeping an eye on it and have an engaged relationship with your insurance advisor, that's going to position you so much better than those people that have just buried their head in the sands and hoping what they have is okay. That's well said, sir. 901-757-5757. If you'd like to talk to Dane, give him a call. Scott, you know, we have a question that I think is critical. And, and, and I think it's one of those questions, you, because of the way it was asked, it's like, you guys seem to have, and I'll just kind of give it to you, this confidence, this optimism 
and uh, you always are positive, even though the market may be tanking or doing something. And and do you have things that you work from? And I think it's a good question. I think it's a legitimate question that we've got. And, uh, you know, again, it comes in from Robert. But Robert says, and, and so what I would think Robert's asking is, how do you guys stay calm with the news and everything like that? You talk about it all the time. Don't let your emotions get caught up in it. So I want to toss that out. And I think we could probably over the next couple of weeks put together several principles. But I know there's at least one that you look at as being critical, and I want to just toss out to what the what it is, and we'll come back and talk about it in the great discussion coming up after the break. What is that principle? Know yourself. <laughs> so calm, so collected. <laughs> Robert's going, do what? Well, yeah, not quite the answer Robert was looking for. <laughs> oh, no, but, you know, know yourself. And I, I think what you're saying is have an understanding of yourself when it comes to investing. To me, that makes a lot of sense. I know that's a principle we look at. And he's asking, why are you so optimistic all the time? Doesn't seem like you guys ever get too bothered about what's going on in the market. And that's because we know what we are looking for. And I think it's a good point. When we come back, I'm going to get Scott to dive into that and really help us understand as he talks about fundamentals when it comes to answering your questions and fundamentals investments, know yourself. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening, of course, to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. If you have questions, send them to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989. In fact, Robert has sent us a question, and I think Robert is complimenting us, you know, to some degree, Scott. He's saying, you guys always seem to be together, and you're thinking through this. And, of course, that's because we do the radio show, and then we go back to work. <laughs> it's right, right. reality. But it's like all the process that goes on to making decisions for our investors it is a, It is kind of knowing what makes us tick. You said know yourself. When you say know yourself, you're talking about Mary and John who's brought in and they want to invest money. It's knowing them. And so what do you mean? How, give us some ideas about, I guess, when you say know yourself. Well, let me start by saying, you know, I want to, I don't want to just glaze over Robert's question because it is something that all investors deal with. I mean, enduring the ups and downs of the market can be challenging for even the most experienced investors like we were. We are. I think that some of that confidence he hears comes from our experience in doing this for a long time, but also in understanding that if you design an investment plan based on time tested principles, that is going to go a long way toward instilling that confidence in you. So we talked about knowing yourself. So when we're putting together an investment 
plan for someone, you know, part of what we do is dig down and understand their tolerance for risk, right? That's kind of what I mean by know yourself. So if you own an, an investment, whether that's a stock, a mutual fund, or an ETF, and that investment drops by, let's just say, 20%, you know, how are you going to react to that? So we've put together an investment plan that has a high probability of hitting your goals, right? Now we've seen a 20% drop in that investment. We're sitting here talking, how are you, how are you yourself as an investor, how are you going to react to that? And that's an important question to really dive in and understand as you're developing a plan. Like I said, we call that risk tolerance, that tolerance for that volatility, because the worst thing that can happen is we put together an investment plan. We see that drop in the market, which, by the way, we know is coming sooner or later. Sooner that's or just later, part of being happen. an investor. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and how is that investor going to react? And, and, you know, and that that investor says, whoa, I didn't didn't anticipate this. I'm out. Get me out of the market. I don't so like that. Selling immediately. Selling immediately. Okay. Like I'm, I'm getting out. We would ask questions to determine if that's their philosophy. We want to know that before we make the investment. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's... It, it can it can be determined. The answer to that question can be determined by where we are in the market cycle, by the way. During good times, you see a lot of people have a high tolerance for risk when the market's going up and it's been going up for a while. We'll see that a lot. People get, oh, no, no, I want to be, I want to be aggressive. I, I like it. But then when that inevitable drop happens, we see an, a change in that attitude because, again, you got to think, when, when the market's down 20% or more than 20%, the news media is pounding on that. They are telling you this is the worst thing ever. We're, we're, we haven't seen anything like this. We don't know when this or if this is going to recover. So it's not just that the market's down. It's like everything around you, all the news and all the information coming to you is even more negative than normal. So that would say the person, if they want to sell, is risk-averse. Very risk-averse. Okay, yeah. all right. So now, not everybody's risk-averse. Right. What if the person says, you know, I think I want to sell it, give it a chance to come back, and I will sell it when it's back to being, uh, you know, uh, $100, $100,000. Right. I've, I've recouped, recouped my losses, my loss. so to speak. Yeah. So now I want to get, I, I would still consider that person pretty risk-averse and not having a great understanding of the market because, again, we're in this... We, if, if we've done this correctly, we've designed this investment plan around what we're trying to accomplish. You know, we talk about that all the time, the why. Why are we doing this? Why are we trying to invest? And it's, it's not just to get rich quick. We have some future cash flow needs, whether that's retirement income or I'm going to buy a new house, whatever that goal is that we're trying to accomplish. So if we've done this correctly, we've established this plan around the why. And if that why hasn't changed, then why are we selling our our, our investment just because it's gotten back to even? Because now I'm feeling a little better, right? It's like, oh, I don't have a loss now. I can just get out of this. Well, the goal haven't hasn't changed. So how are we going to accomplish that goal if we turn around and just sell out of our investments because they have temporarily gotten back to where they were? But I think for our listeners, and when we talk about time-tested principles of investing, and that's really kind of what I think Robert's asking the right kind of question. Absolutely. He's got a, it's a good foresight on his, on his mind. But for this person that says, um, I really think I might want to you know, hold on and get to the point where money is coming back to where I did my original price, you know, that person, as you said, maybe still risk averse, right. definitely, but they can kind of all of a sudden, you know, they can build a portfolio that has to be very conservative. Very conservative. And again, yes. we look at risk and reward. 
are directly related. The more risk you take, the usually the more reward, but that's not always the case. But again, if I'm avoiding risk, I'm probably not able to gain the amount of money that I'm thinking I want to gain. And I think you also have to ask yourself, what type of risk am I avoiding? Yes, you're avoiding what we would call market risk, that market volatility risk. But the the bigger risk could be, depending on your situation, the risk of not achieving those long-term goals because I was a little too conservative with my money. In other words, I'm not earning on my money the rate of returns I need to hit my goals. That is also a risk because, remember, we're not. it's not about principal protection. It's about future purchasing power. That's mm-hmm. what we're trying to protect. And in an inflationary economy, we usually have to put our money to work in order to outrun at least the cost of living increases due to inflation in order to hit those long-term goals. So now we're talking about know yourself. I know mean, yourself. literally, that's this timeless, te- timeless tested principle of yep. investing. Robert's saying, how do you guys maintain this optimistic mentality, you know, you don't get caught up in the news media, and we tell everybody that. So knowing the investor needs to know himself, and it's if it's John and Mary, as we're talking about, we spend the time to help them know themselves, right. and we are looking to know what they're thinking. So we've talked about selling it immediately. As soon as it drops, you get out immediately, and, uh, boy, that person's, you know, very much risk-averse, and usually they end up losing, and they never come back into the market. Or else they are one of those that says, well, I'm going to hold on, and they're shaking and, and, <laughs> and you know, worried and concerned all the time. But finally, it gets back. If they invested 100000 it gets back to 100000 and then they sell. Right. They're right. conservative. I, I didn't plan on that mu- amount of discomfort, and now I want out of the game, so to speak. I want to. I don't. I don't like investing. I want to try to put my money in a place where it's perceived to be safe. You know, Charles Schwab did a did a survey. They do it every year. It's called their Modern Wealth Survey. They do it around June, May or June every year. And this year, it said that sixty five percent of Americans do not have a financial plan, and and that's again just a a strategy, a thought process. And it said that literally 21% were, what, the reason why they didn't do it? Too complicated. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's 21%. But I thought, basing 20% too time-consuming. And it, and it can be, but, uh, you know, I, we've used the, the, the saying all the time that most people spend more time planning for a two-week vacation than they do planning for their future life. So, um, yes, there there is a little time involved, I think, working with somebody who who is or does a lot of financial planning professionally can help either speed that process along or, or give you those. But it goes back to why investors, I think why investors usually fail. If they fail, they have unrealistic expectations. They don't understand there's going to be up and downs in the market. They don't have guiding principles. They lack guiding principles that guide their investment framework. And they, going back to what the statute has said, they operate without a plan. They don't understand the why they're investing and what they're trying to accomplish and setting up a plan that helps accomplish those goals. Well, I, I think it's important for me to say that, you know, separate from a financial plan is what we're talking about from Swab and, and what's going on there. Our role as a financial planner, when we're working with someone, we may recommend the purchase of a specific investment or insurance product or on any accounts or something like that. And and these products recommend that our, the product recommendations are not a part of the financial plan. And, of course, we all help everybody understand that it's no obligation 
they're under absolutely no obligation when we've done a plan to follow that plan. They can go and do the, take the plan and do whatever they want to with it. But it's important that they at least start. And I think that's what Schwab is saying. Yes. At least start. Start with the plan. Start with you, the plan. You need an investment framework that's well anchored to a to a financial plan. I think that is the key, one of the key determinants of success. All right. Know yourself. You've got know yourself. If you sell immediately when it's down 20%, you're probably risk averse. If you get it back to, you know, uh, back to even, uh, you know, then you sell, you're still somewhat risk averse. But maybe there's a way that we can build a portfolio for you to stay in the market and, and be very conservative. But what about that person that says, hey, I want to buy more. It's on sale. And that, that would be the more risk-tolerant investor uh, and, and can be a good opportunity to do that, by the way. That can be a great opportunity to to put money that's on the sideline in the market. But that that type of mentality also comes with its own set of dangers. And uh, I call it the fear of missing out in that, you know, when you see certain parts of the investment world or certain parts of the economy doing really well, there's a lot of people that like to pile on to that and try to jump on because they're afraid they're going to miss out on those returns. And so same, same principles apply to that investor. Again, we go back to our guiding principles of asset allocation, how much we're going to put in stocks, how much we're going to put in bonds, how much we're going to put in cash. We're going to stay diversified. We don't know the future, so we're going to spread our money out in different investment types, and then we're going to keep that keep that investment framework rebalanced over time. Those are those guiding principles we talk about on the show a lot, but that is all determined by what we're trying to accomplish. What is our tolerance for risk? What is our time frame of when we need the money? So those are the kind of things we look at when we design those types of investment strategies. But again, it's all driven by that financial plan. What are we trying to accomplish and what does it take to accomplish that? All that can be quantified. We can put together a strategy that has a history or a high probability of producing the types of returns we need to hit those goals. I hope Robert's getting this idea that's principled. Now, we'll cover some more principles that I think are important. I mean, he's kind of triggered the thought process here. We hadn't, he just, I mean, literally, why are you guys so comfortable and you know, you're always optimistic. Well, there are some time-tested principles, and we dive in with every person we're talking to to help them understand where they are. And, of course, what you just said is uh, having that contrarian mindset. If Hey, the market's just allowed me to buy more at a discounted price. But you said it, and I think this is, is following the guideline, the strategy that you made in, you know, way when you start, when you set out and working through this idea of a strategy, before the 20% drop, you've right. thought through that process. Uh, that is key. That is key. And that's always important. So I think it's critical for people to understand, too, when we talk about diversification and asset allocation, neither asset allocation nor diversification guarantees against loss. And I think we try to stress that with people. That's a great way of looking at things, but it's a method used to manage risk. And that's what we try to preach a lot. So you and I talk about this because we talk about it every day. Right. But Robert's saying, help me understand. So I think it's best that we do kind of commit to come back over the next period of a couple of weeks talking about some time-tested principles, not try to jam them down all at one time. Yeah. And, And I would add, you know, some of that confidence, Robert, comes from the fact that, you know, I have a strong belief that our markets are resilient. They're cyclical and unpredictable, but they're very resilient. 
And the faith is in the innovative companies of the world. We, we're not buying just, you know, random investments here. We're investing in the innovative companies of the world. And those strong companies with strong management teams can work through any type of challenges we may see in the economy, whether that's political, economic, you know, geopolitical. They will work through those challenges and, and continue to try to produce a profit for the company. And that's, that's kind of the system that I have faith in, that the capitalist system in, a, in America. And I believe that over the long term, that has rewarded patient investors. And good point that that is rewarding a, a patient investor, one that's got a strategy. Yep. Of course, everybody knows past performance from these companies. Absolutely. It's not a guarantee of future performance. But the reality is that's faith of the capitalistic system that we happen to have our economy and the economy economy continues just to grow. Well, I'm going to take a kind of a, a deep breath here because this happens to be June. The month of June is Elder Abuse Awareness Month. And I know we just flew through June and it, we didn't get a chance to get this program on, but Rob Clement always does a very good job of helping us understand some things that go on with these with the elder abuse group how in the world can this be happening with family, friends, and caregivers? $28.3 billion annually, and of that $28.3, billion, 72% financial exploitation from family, friends, and caregivers. The other 8 point, or 28%, $8 billion, literally, that's from strangers and scams. And so I've asked Rob to just give us some warning signs, things to look for, when it comes to elder abuse. Rob, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim. Good to be here. And let me share, first of all, that first warning sign that we're talking about is isolation. And we see that because so many times people end up being widows or widowers and they're by themselves and they think that one of those family members or friend or caregivers are going to have their best interest in place. But here's the first story about isolation. Individual contacted me and said, did you hear about Miss Such-and-Such? She has been by herself in the house and decided to hire a caregiver to come in and take care of her. And six months later to a year later, it was found out by another individual that all of a sudden some of the monies that this individual had saved up and kept uh, as available cash, as Scott and you have been talking about as far as cash reserves, had disappeared. And when they approached the caregiver, the caregiver says, oh, it couldn't have been me. But then they found out that the caregiver was able to sign on the bank account for the uh, particular individual. So in this case, isolation was one of the biggest causes. Nobody else to talk with. So the caregiver took advantage of that individual. So when you talk isolation. About that, yeah, isolation is a critical aspect. You know, that actually happened, Scott, with, with one of our clients that we were working with. Yeah, and and you know in this particular situation it was a caregiver as well and and that that particular caregiver cuz this this individual was isolated as you said kind of on their own and they took way advantage of it in to the point of even having legal documents changed to leave assets to themselves after death. They they had access to all the bank accounts as well and were were writing checks. So I think it's, you know, just so important for 
you know, a community or family members to, to look out for those people who they feel might be being isolated or taken advantage of like that and making sure we know who we're hiring to help those people. Yeah. There's a lot of great caregivers in the world. I don't want to say we're beating up on caregivers, but you do have to be careful because that is a position of trust you're bringing into the home. I've got a case right now where it's a daughter and uh, yeah. a large yeah. sum of money and a, and a daughter has taken a credit card and gone crazy and and cash advances, lots of money, and and mom, you know, the, the credit card company came back and said, well, obviously it was not something that you gave her permission to do. This would be fraud, so, you know, we'll put it in our fraud case, and you'll have to file a claim. And, and, and she said, no, I'm not going to do that to my daughter. And so, I've seen that happen a lot as well, and, and even with caregivers where they were reluctant to, to bring in any authorities because they didn't want the caregiver to get in trouble. And this person had become close to the caregiver, yeah. so they just didn't want to see them get in trouble. So it's a very sad situation. Rob, you talked about isolation, and, and, and then Scott mentioned changing legal documents and financial documents. That's another sign or warning tip. What's another one? Yeah, uh, basically the term is gatekeeper. That's a person that is watching out or supposed to be watching out for that individual. It could be a neighbor. It could be a long-lost relative or so. And again, it falls into that like fishing. They throw a lure out there and they catch a big fish of their finances or some other type of thing that they take from that particular senior citizen. I uh, always watch for red flags, for things that people are looking for that could be a opportunity to pilfer or steal from somebody so encountering a gatekeeper yeah you've mentioned this where all of a sudden the gatekeeper says well you can't talk to so-and-so right now in other words you've got to talk to me you can't talk to miss jane miss mary or mr bob or something because the gatekeeper is now in charge that's a big problem and jim that really uh, springboards into another term i'm going to throw out here is trusted contact That is something that most financial planning firms today are encouraging their clients to do. I know we at Shoemaker do that same thing, to have a trusted contact. That's simply somebody that is not a beneficiary, but someone that they're providing a name that if all of a sudden you get a call and they say, look, I'm representing Mr. or Miss such and such, and I uh, I need to get some particular financial information. Unless they're a trusted contact, you're not going to be able to get that information. So one of the things that folks out there want to make sure of is that they have a trusted contact list. That's a great, great point, yeah. because knowing that this is the person you talk to. So the gatekeeper all of a sudden is you know, shoving the door. You can't talk to them. So who is that trusted contact? Let me ask you this. This is one of those things. We got phone numbers. We got cell phones today, email. I know you've talked about this before, changing an email address just out of the clear blue sky, and they don't know why. Yeah, and there is the next step to being an able to isolate an individual because once you change an email address and you've tried to stay in touch with that person and all of a sudden that comes back as a no good email address or a phone number has been changed, that's a sign, a warning sign that all of a sudden someone is trying to make off or do something that they shouldn't do with that particular senior citizen and it can be an abusive situation. You know, Rob, your practice, you work with a the majority of your practice is working with senior citizens. You've done a fabulous job of building that relationship and working through there. And, you know, I know that the family members trust you to pay attention 
to these warning signs. Is there something that you want to make sure that our listening audience understands when it comes to really identifying and, uh, you know, recognizing the tips and things that they look for that from your chair you're doing that? Uh, People have a certain way that they act, and you begin to know that when you work with a person. And when you see unusual behavior starting to to surface, then you really want to be really aware of what's going on, what's making this person act differently than they were. And sometimes it could be even something more the medical community. They could be depression, anxiety. It could be that they have stopped eating. They're just gone into malnutrition. So that's that's two of the last of the seven things that we just kind of really make sure that we're sensitive about and, and can be able to stand with a person and watch them for any of these types of opportunities individuals are trying to take them. Thank you, Rob. Great information. Great information. If you'd like to talk to Rob, you can call him at 901-757-5757. Wow, it's another program. It's wrapped up. I'm going to get in my Plymouth Duster and uh, drive home, you know, and uh, get only get about seven miles to the gallon, guys. But it's a great car. Heavy. You're doing your part for the environment, I'm right? I'm doing my part for the environment. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Scott Jordan, Dane Williams, and, of course, Rob Clement. If you have questions for Scott, Dane, or Rob, you can reach them at 901-757-5757. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe, and we so much appreciate you being a part of the program. If you have questions, type them to Jim to the text line at 901-683-0989. That's Jim, J-I-M. Next week, my guest, Dr. Kevin Westbrook, we're going to talk about AI, artificial intelligence. I tell you, it's still a hot topic. Scott Jordan's coming back. We're going to continue to answer Robert's questions about some timeless tips and how do we maintain that confidence in the market. Daniel Irwin from the Better Business Bureau, he's going to talk us and take us back to Scam School. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and again Sunday at 9 a.m. I want to thank my producers, Tyler Springs and Maximilian, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production and marketing assistant, Laura Norsworthy, and compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of today's program. We are for you, and we're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Rob Clement is a registered representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.